coming up on Pass the Secret Sauce. So interestingly, during COVID, Clubhouse coming out, that's been a really important tool for me. And, you know, I've been invited also by a couple of universities to come and speak to their student groups and get the chance to connect with, you know, teen customers and ask them questions and kind of understand where their, where their heads are. So, you know, that part of my research is really important. And then in addition to that, it's really about just, you know, I have this research pattern that I, you know, I do a ton of research. And so I have places I go. Social media has been amazing for that because, you know, teens are such an open book. They're always sharing what they're doing, what they're up to. So you really get a chance to see their lifestyles. So, you know, I do a lot of that. And then from there, it's, you know, it's about looking at all this information, having all these conversations, and then starting to connect these dots. And when you do this for so long, and, you know, I'm coming up on, you know, 16, 17 years of doing this, you really start to see those dots a lot earlier, you know, and you start to see those patterns emerge a lot earlier. So that's sort of what that landscape looks like. Welcome to the show. I'm Matt Shields. On Pass the Secret Sauce, we unscramble the life stories, skills, and secrets from the most wicked smart minds and interesting people to uncover their experience and recipes for success that will help you get an edge on your own life. My goal is to help you rein in on the chaos that life throws at us by learning from other high achievers. If you're new to the show, we have episodes with founders, CEOs, investors, and leaders. So if you like to learn and are motivated to improve your life, then kick back and listen to our guests pass their secret sauce. Up next on Pass the Secret Sauce, we have Katie Irving, who is the founder of the Moonshot Agency. Katie has a background in fashion. As a matter of fact, she's worked for some of the largest fashion brands and participated in some of the largest fashion shows in the world. And what she's really focusing in on now is bringing all of that knowledge and becoming a resource for other brands to help position them for success in the future. So Katie is very, very much so data-driven and into how the new up-and-coming generations, what, what, what's important to those generations? What are they looking for? I, I certainly didn't know half of, or actually I didn't know anything about any of these things that we were talking about, and I am in complete alignment with, with many of them. We get into a lot of the different things of, of how the next generations are very much so concer- concerned about their impact on the environment and how those choices and how those things are impacting their buying decisions. So if you're a clothing brand or if, you're, if you own some type of boutique, being able to position yourself today for the tomorrow's generation, the, the t- tomorrow shoppers, the things that people are going to be interested in tomorrow is going to be incredibly, incredibly valuable. So we get into a lot of those different nuances in the fashion industry and what, what people are going to be looking for in the coming years. So I hope you enjoy today's episode of Past the Secret Sauce with Katie Irvine from the Moonshot Agency. Okay, so dinner table. 
Well, we, Friday nights was probably the biggest family meal time. And uh, so we always sat around the dinner table Friday nights. And otherwise, you know, growing up in the 80s, 90s, we were always involved in sports and all kinds of other crazy things. So during the week, you know, we were kind of around and about and just grabbing whatever we could. But yeah, Friday nights, weekends, uh, family movie nights, those are sort of my, my main memories of that time probably very cool very cool what, what was your main sport that you played I played softball nice nice very <laughs> nice so so were you did you have any entrepreneurial tendencies growing up or did that not come until you know, after you uh, had a little corporate stint so I did so my parents owned their own business always ah, so okay. they're both CPAs and um, they owned their own CPA firm for a really long time in the small town so I grew up in Tennessee just outside Nashville and you know so I always had their influence you know I and you know as a child I spent a lot of time at the office which wasn't my mm -hmm. favorite thing then now yeah. I see it was a gift because I had a chance to really witness kind of what it was like day to day to be to own your own business and I mean, as a kid, I always had side hustles. So I was selling bookmarks in the cafeteria in third grade. And then I got told that I wasn't allowed to make money on school grounds. So then I had to like pivot and yeah. figure, out a, <laughs> figure out a way to make money off of school grounds. Yeah. Even when I was working full time, I, I had a, a brand on the side called YCHL Collective and I did hand painted leather jackets. So I feel like it's been a common thread for me. Mm -hmm. I wanted to start my own business right when I finished my master's degree, but my student loans said otherwise. Yeah, so were, that's why. Yeah. <laughs> so I started working for a while, but yeah. So coming back to entrepreneurship, I mean, it feels exactly like where I should be, where I want to be. So mm -hmm. it, it's been a fun journey. And and you mentioned a couple of times in the in the green room about your you know creative side and that you're you're painting leather jackets. What what uh, what types of things were you painting on leather jackets? So I do a lot of florals mostly, but then I also did a lot of, you know, kind of made to order stuff. So whatever people were requesting, I did one whole jacket that was Rolling Stones lyrics, which okay. was super cool. Yeah. So all kinds of different things. And, and, you know, at the time, you know, as I was working in corporate and I had moved up the ladder, I was in, you know, more of a leadership position mm -hmm. and I would, did get to do that hands-on creative part as much. And that's what I really love and enjoy. So it gave me a chance to sort of stretch my creative muscles and just stay in touch with, you know, why I got into this industry in the first place. And so that was what was fun about it. Yeah. So talk a little bit about the industry and, and what, what it was that you were doing so that the listeners kind of understand your background. Yeah. So, so yeah, as I, as I mentioned, I'm from Nashville and I moved to London when I was 18 to study fashion. I only ever wanted to be in fashion for as long as I can remember. So I did undergrad and master's there. And then I've worked in the fashion industry for a little more than 15 years now. Most of that time spent in the corporate world for different brands. So I worked in London and Paris and New York and spent some time in Ohio. And mainly I stayed within the kind of trend forecasting, kind of strategy and insight space for youth brands. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so that's sort of, you know, my industry and, and where I focus. But, you know, at 15 years, it's starting to feel, I mean, I've seen the industry change astronomically in 15 years. So I'm really starting to get some perspective as I look back and, you know, when I think about what it was like when I first entered the industry versus what it's like now, I mean, it's almost unimaginable the amount of change that's happened since then. Yeah. And, and I have to ask you, you mentioned that you were in Ohio. I'm from Ohio. So I'm curious, what, were you down in Columbus or were you 
in North Ohio, in Northern Ohio or? Yeah, or... yeah, Columbus and okay. yeah, just outside Columbus. Yeah, it's, I, um, that's what I kind of thought. I, I know a lot of big brands and all of that sort of consider Columbus as sort of the melting pot of America, right? You know, it's kind of cross between East and West. So I know there's yeah. a lot of studies and whatnot that go on down there. Exactly, I mean, so I've heard the statistic that outside of London, or sorry, outside of New York and LA, I think Columbus has the third highest concentration of fashion designers and creatives mm-hmm. because there's a lot of retailers that are based here. So yeah, it's it, there's an amazing creative community. And that's why, so my husband and my daughter, now we've been here for quite a few years now. We love it. Yeah, Very it's cool. a fun community. Very cool. Yeah, no, love love Columbus. Okay, so, so talk about some of the, I guess some of the things that you saw you know, when you first started in the fashion industry and then fast forward to today, you know, what, what are some of those transitions? What are some of those changes that you're noticing now? I mean, the biggest is digital and e-com and how e-com it's all e-com first, digital first. And of course the pandemic really accelerated that, but that was already happening. I mean, so we were already headed. We just sort of, we did sort of like three to five years worth of growth in about nine months, you know, in the last year. So So that was happening. And then I think the other big one is just this massive power shift. And because of digital technology, because of social media, it's really put the customer in control. Mm -hmm. So in the fashion industry, trends used to be very much trickle down. You know, they started on runway, magazine editors really were setting a lot of the trends and then it would sort of trickle down to the rest of the market. And now it's very customer driven. And we're also, because I work with youth brands, I work with Gen Z and Gen Alpha, they're super empowered. They're very focused on, you know, identity and individualism. So they're great at crafting their own style, putting it out in the world. And so brand for brands today, it's really all about how to connect with them authentically, how to create an ecosystem where you're kind of communicating back and forth and sharing ideas. And so I think the big shift has been, you know, you know, especially as a trend forecaster, looking at those influences and how they've changed over time. And it's just done a complete 180. So yeah, that's been super interesting to watch. Yeah, very cool. So explain a little bit about what Moonshot does. Moonshot, your company. Yeah, so Moonshot is an agency that uncovers the trend, mindset, and cultures of the world's most powerful generation. So this is all about Gen Z and Gen Alpha. And really the overarching mission here is to help shape the future of the fashion industry by aligning brands with the progressive values of these emerging youth consumers. Mm -hmm. This is a win-win situation. This is about helping brands stay aligned with these customers, but it's also about helping them operate more ethically, more inclusive, more sustainably. And, you know, because those are the values that these customers are bringing Mm -hmm. along. These values are baseline for Gen Z Z and Gen Alpha. So, you know, it's a fun area to work in because of that win-win situation. But yeah, so Moonshot is just all about uncovering opportunities kind of at the center of youth culture and fashion. Yeah, interesting. Are you, are you working with people that are actually creating their own you know, their own clothing, designing their own clothing, or is it resale resellers? What types of people would you say that you work with? Yeah. So a little bit of both. So from retail, from, from brands and from like teen brands and kids brands, and then you mentioned resale. So that's a huge part of the youth market going forward. So the circular economy, this idea of designing garments with zero waste is really driving youth brands in the future. So that's a huge part of my research currently. And really that resale and that vintage market is being driven by the teen customer right now. So that's forecasted to grow astronomically over the next five years. Mm -hmm. So, you know, 
there's a lot of brands that are doing that on their own. I also am interested in working with larger brands and helping them kind of own a piece of that market also, like own their resale market, find a way to continue to extract value from their goods, not just at that first point of purchase, but you know, at other points of purchase down the line too. So that's kind of a big focus at the moment. Yeah, interesting. So what, what types of, I guess, how large of a footprint are your customers typically? Are we talking about, you know, large brands that, you know, own many locations? Or are we, you know, the one storefront type type place? Is it, you know, a certain amount online or certain footprint online? What Give a little demographic of who your normal customers would be. Yeah, so different sizes. So I've worked with large billion dollar brands, kind of industry leading brands, and I've worked with small startups. And, you know, the way Moonshot works is I have this network of industry leading experts in all kinds of areas in fashion. And, you know, because I've been in the industry so long, I've, you know, know people in every corner and can curate by project. So that's been one of the real strengths of Moonshot is that when we come in to a company, we can sort of shape shift and be whatever we need to be. And we can fit the expertise of a startup. We can fit the expertise of these like larger kind of industry leading retailers, which is where my, a lot of my experiences. So yeah, it can kind of be a range, but it's, it's really all about the youth market. So brands that are operating within that space. And, and so are you going in and telling them, you know, you should, you know, carry this line or, or, you know, change this about your messaging? You know, what are, what are some of the services that you, that you would go in and, and help them with? Yeah, it could be a little bit of both of those. So look at it from kind of two pronged for the most part. So there's the product apparel side, and then there's more of the marketing side. And depending on the brand, you know, they might need help more in one or the other. Mm -hmm. But what I think Moonshot does best is when we kind of get in at the ground floor and we work with brands. Virtus Technology is a custom business software solution provider. Are you tired of manual entry into an old system that creates more work than it helps? Does your company suffer from constant pain and frustration around its business processes? Do you spend a lot of time and money trying to hunt information down or figure out what is happening in your business? Virtus Technology can help solve all of this. We evaluate your current processes and then create custom software or mobile apps to automate and streamline your business process, eliminating a lot of those pains and frustrations. Unlike other systems, our goal is to digitize your current processes and systems so that your staff's learning curve is very small. If you're ready to take your business operations to the next level, give Virtus Technology a call today. Before you really even get to the apparel design side or before you then later get to the marketing stage it's really all about kind of like creating that baseline of understanding who their customer is you know who their current customer is where's their white space opportunity for them to grow that market share that they have and then also the most important thing is being able to forecast over time the way that the, the your customers culture and values and mindset is going to change over time so that's really Moonshot's main strength is kind of uncovering, like defining exactly who that customer is and then helping companies understand where the opportunities lie. And again, it might be from a product point of view, it might be from brand, from brand messaging or for content, but that sort of, sort of all starts with who the customer is. Uh, interesting. 
when you were mentioning the, I don't remember the exact term you used, but basically the zero waste garments, how, how is it that, you know, if I'm, if I'm a, uh, a reseller or if I'm, you know, someone who's interested in making my own garments, are there any things that I can look for so that I can understand, you know, what that, what that environmental impact is that, you know, I'm having with, by producing these, you know, these garments, is there any, any way to be able to determine that? Because that's something that I'm absolutely passionate about. I hate, you know, wasting anything Mm -hmm. and, you know, I'd love to be able to understand, you know, even the things that I'm buying as a consumer aren't impacting, you know, the environment any more than they need to. So any, any Mm -hmm. advice or tips there? Yeah, definitely. One of the best resources online currently is called Fashion Revolution. You can go to their website. They're also great to follow on Instagram, but on their website, they have a whole section that's just for consumers. So they have a lot of great information that is, it's not necessarily targeted for the fashion industry. So it's really about helping people understand their personal footprint and how they can do better. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, they have different pledges that people can take and for instance, I am taking the No New Clothes 2021 pledge currently. I I'm like not it. buying anything I'll, new. I'll send it to my girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, I, I am doing all, all circular fashion for 2021, which has been an amazing journey so far. I feel like I, I'm learning a lot. But yeah, but Fashion Revolution is a great place to go if you're, if you're just starting in this journey and you have questions, or if you really want to understand more about the global footprint of the fashion industry, just from a you know top-down point of view, they've got great statistics there for that. And, and what is the, the circular, what did you call it? Circular what? Yeah, circular economy. Circular so, economy. So what, what is that? Mm-hmm. Explain that. Yeah. So it's this idea of designing for zero waste. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's a lot, there's a school of thought within design that anytime you design a product or a garment that doesn't have where you're not designing the end of life for that, then that's a huge design flaw. And that's, you know, that's been around for a while, but it's really starting to become mainstream. And again, this is really being pushed to the front by youth consumers. Like they really care about this a lot. So specifically for youth consumers, what circular economy looks like is resale, vintage, and those two markets, which are going to grow so much are being driven by, you know, Gen Z and teenagers, regenerated fibers, recyclable fibers, rental is another good example of that. So, you know, if you have a special occasion, instead of buying a whole new outfit for it, you're just going to rent and send it back. A friend of mine the other day was just telling me her whole wedding was rented, including her wedding dress. Wow. And yeah, so I think it's incredible. And it's just, you know, ways to limit waste, ways to keep clothing in circulation longer. What we don't want is for people to buy clothing that only get worn once and they sit in the closet and then they're accumulating more. So, you know, but a big part of this that's so interesting is navigating this customer journey of consuming less. Mm -hmm. Because I think, you know, you can't truly have a circular economy if we're continuing this rate of consumption, which I think you know, currently it's estimated we need 1.6 planet earths to keep up with our consumption rates. So like we have to consume less. Yeah. So that's sort of why I'm on this journey of no new clothes, because I'm interested from the customer point of view, where are, where are the holes? Where is it difficult? Where are the gaps from a category point of view? Like what categories need to do better? So Mm -hmm. yeah, but it's, it's a huge topic. It's super important for the industry. And so where are some of those holes that you're, that you're seeing? Like what, what, I guess you're you're saying that you're going on the the this no new clothes journey for 2021. That basically means you you are not 
shopping at all, right? You're not you're not trying you're not going and buying anything, even if it is you know recycled or or. And when I'm saying that, I'm thinking of like walking into the thrift store. So I'm not buying new. I'm buying something that's already you know already been used, already been worn. Mm-hmm. So vintage, I guess you could you could yeah. call that too. Mm-hmm. So so where are some of the the holes or the gaps that you are starting to see that? you know, I, I guess are developing in that train of thought or that, that, that idea of living. Yeah. So from a category perspective, you know, swimwear has been a bit tough, activewear, you know, underwear, things like that, that those have been the categories that are sort of the hardest. Mm-hmm. It's easiest to find special occasion wear or, you know, anything vintage. So like in terms of outfitting, like that's been pretty easy. I've been a vintage shopper my whole life. So, you know, that, that part has been really fun, you know, but what I'm finding more interesting, and this was sort of unexpected is that kind of emotional journey as a customer and what it means to buy less and also kind of understanding what those triggers for overconsumption are for me. And sometimes how they're really linked to something emotional. It's like, Mm -hmm you know, you have a bad day, you do a bit of shopping, you feel a little bit better and that's not available to me now. So it's interesting where you kind of have to be like, oh, I had a bad day and I'm not going to fix it with shopping. I guess I'll just have to, you know, like hang out with this feeling for a minute and like dig in and figure out what's there. So, you know, while that seems super abstract, it's really important for customers to know because there is one big school of thought that says that that, you know, fashion brands really have to help figure out how to give these dopamine hits that people get Mm -hmm. from shopping Mm -hmm. in a way that isn't tied to physical product, you know, so whether that's through content that they create or whether that's through the, you know, customer brand relationship, you know, there's lots of different ways to do it, but I think it's, you know, that dopamine hit that we've all been trained to kind of like get on this train of overconsumption. And that's a big part of it, the way that you feel when you shop. And, so apart from the mechanics or categories that are lacking, to me, this has been really the more interesting part to kind of dig into because I think it's it's a real hurdle for brands and I think they have to figure out how to navigate that part. Yeah, yeah. Are, are there any type of markings or anything like that on any of the clothes so that you know that if you are going to buy something, again, it is a product that is more environmentally friendly than, than others? Is there any type so, of standardization there or no? Not exactly yet, but there is something that's in the works, more of like a digital footprint. And I think that's being run by a company called Eon. And this is really about kind of tracking the provenance of garments. And what's great about this is that it can help you understand, you know, how many times a garment has been purchased, Mm -hmm. but it also stores all the information of the exact fiber content and care instructions. So that's super important for recycling because a lot of things can't be recycled because when they, they end up where they do, the tags are missing or you don't exactly know what the fibers are. Yeah. So this idea of digital passports is huge, like potentially industry changing because it would really give the, the ability to, to track that. And then for luxury, it has a lot of implications because you can really authenticate, yeah. you can get rid of this idea of counterfeit products and really protect quality. So that's kind of a cool thing that's happening. And, and I'm assuming that's all on blockchain too. It's all. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Very, very cool. I didn't, I had no idea about the, uh, the, uh, the blockchain application there. So that's, that's pretty cool. What are some of the, I guess some of the mistakes that you see people making 
today when they're you know they're they're looking to establish their brand you know again for the future and looking forward are there any common mistakes that you see people that you know, may have been in the fashion industry for you know the last 10ish or so years any any type of advice or or again common things that you're seeing that aren't going to necessarily translate into the next generation of of people coming up yeah definitely so there's two big ones that i think of a lot so you know, we've had this, we're in the middle of this data revolution. You know, that's one of the big changes I've seen happen within the fashion industry in the, in the last decade or so. We have all this information and, you know, what I feel like brands are doing is, is sometimes they're not sure how to interpret that or they're not sure exactly what to do with it or how to use it as a jumping off point for future focused ideas. So that's one of the things that Moonshot really focuses on, you know, data it tells you what your customer is doing, but it doesn't tell you why. It doesn't give you the backstory. And it, and it also doesn't tell you necessarily what they're going to do in the future because you're kind of missing that qualitative, more emotional piece. So I think for brands, I see them analyzing, analyzing data in ways that are just a little bit one-sided. So, you know, helping them understand that they need to unlock the full 360 view of their customer. You know, I always say like trend, culture, mindset, values. You have to know that, put those together with your data, then you're getting a full picture of your customer, but it can't just be one-sided. And, you know, I think along with that, the other thing that I see brands do is just not understanding their customer well enough. And, you know, I had a, when I was doing my master's degree, had a professor and he was saying in our business class, you should know that you're every customer on a first name basis, you know, and of course, as you scale, that's harder, but I've always kept that with me because mm-hmm. I, I think of that a lot. Like you just, you have to know everything about your customer. You have to understand, you know, their struggles, what, what's hard about their lives, what they're worried about, what they care about, all those things matter and, you know, developing empathy and kind of putting yourself in their shoes and understanding what their needs are really is what it's all about. And I think companies sort of rush that part a little bit, or they get part of the picture put together, Mm -hmm. but it's, but you got to go deep there and then, and then you can build on that, but, and that's your foundation. But if you don't have that, I think it puts a lot of companies kind of on the back foot from the beginning. Interesting. Once you, once you have that, that understanding, what do you do with that information? Like, how do you make that connection? How do you how do you get on the you know the first name basis? And again, like you said, obviously that's difficult as you scale. But what are some of the tools that you have seen implemented successfully that start to walk down that path to be able to to make that kind of connection with the customer? Yeah. So you know, as I mentioned, like qualitative research is a huge part for me. So what that looks like in my world is a lot of different things. So. It used to be a lot of in-person focus groups. That's obviously been hard lately, but I think, you know, the main thing with qualitative research is you have to find ways to stay really close to the customer. You have to continue having conversations with them. So interestingly, during COVID Clubhouse coming out, that's been a really important tool for me. And, you know, I've been invited also by a couple of universities to come and speak to their student groups and get the chance to connect with, you know, teen customers and ask them questions and kind of understand where their, where their heads are. So, you know, that part of my research is really important. And then in addition to that, it's really about just, you know, I have this research pattern that I, you know, I do a ton of research. And so I have places I go, social media has been amazing for that because, you know, teens are such an open book. They're always sharing what they're doing, what they're up to. So you really get a chance to see their lifestyles. So, you know, I do a lot of that. And then from there, it's, 
you know, it's about looking at all this information, having all these conversations, and then starting to connect these dots. And when you do this for so long, and you know, I'm coming up on, you know, 16, 17 years of doing this, you really start to see those dots a lot earlier, you know, and you start to see those patterns emerge a lot earlier. So that's sort of what that landscape looks like. Yeah, that's, that's cool. I, and again, picking up all of these insights from data and, and all of that, I, I absolutely love, you know, coming from a place of actual learning and, and data and results rather than just taking a guess and taking a stab at it and saying that we think, you know, this is what's, you know, what, what the next trend is or what have you. And actually speaking of that, what are some of the trends that are, that are coming up? Is it, is it all about, you know, recycling and all of that, or are there any other ones that you see you know, on the, uh, on the horizon? Yeah, well, funnily enough, one of the the ideas that I'm working on currently is this idea of the end of trend, you know, and what it looks like really for future consumers. So, you know, for so long, teen fashion has been driven by this like endless trend cycle. Mm -hmm. We've seen fast fashion retailers fail a bit over the last couple of years. We've and but we've seen others grow, like ASOS you know, has done huge business during COVID. You know, a lot of these digital first retailers are continuing to grow. So it's really, you know, just kind of looking into that space and, and thinking about where the trend cycle is headed. And I think that what we're seeing is teen consumers, they're not so driven by this idea of fitting in. They're not driven by this idea so much of all needing to look the same way or wear the same way. They're very individualistic but they're also very community minded. So, you know, they're more accepting. And what I see is almost more fragmentation happening, more kind of silos developing. And that's harder for big companies, but I think it's important for them to understand is, you know, you can't really try to tap into teen culture anymore if you're a youth brand, because it feels disingenuous. It comes off as inauthentic and it worked for a really long time, but it doesn't work now. So, you know, what brands have to understand is that they have to, you know, build rich relationships with their customer, build an ecosystem of communication. And, you know, my mantra is exist to enrich your customer's culture, not to tap into it. So that's mm -hmm. sort of the main thing brands have to know. And when they do that, it's really more about having a conversation and it's less about trying to, you know, scan the market for trends. It's more about just supporting their lifestyle at that point. So it's, you know, it's a different way of thinking about trend and it's, and it's less, and it's a slower trend cycle also, which I think is really important for brands to know. Like we've seen over the last few years, I call them holding patterns where, you know, we see trends come along and then we kept waiting for them to move along quickly mm -hmm. and they're just, they're hanging out. And I think that's not going anywhere anytime soon. So that's a huge shift. And, and when you're saying, you know, a, a trend again, obviously I'm a guy. So what types of, what types of trends would we be speaking of that, you know, are sort of in this holding pattern that you know, haven't moved out yet? Like, what does that look like? Yeah. I mean, a, a huge one, like the teen market had been dominated by like every tie dye effect you can possibly imagine for like almost four years now. Mm -hmm. And then especially with regards to fleece. So like, you know, tie-dye fleece has been a, a top key item across the entire industry for literally years now. I mean, we never used to see things like that happen. So I think it's, you know, part of it is this shift towards craving comfort, but I think part of it is also familiarity and, you know, that being really important. Another one is this idea of 90s nostalgia. And we saw that crop up, I don't know, four or five years ago. And I think that's not unusual. I think when we get a new 
teen cohort, we usually see them kind of do a throwback. Yeah. You know, when I was in college, it was all about the eighties. And so we saw nineties pop up, but it's just still here. And I think that's interesting because it really speaks to, you know, this idea that people are seeking nostalgia. I think anything pre-digital technology feels quaint mm -hmm, now mm -hmm. to us. And so I think there's a lot in there for customer mindset. When you think about the fact that like, we're still obsessed with the nineties, we're craving comfort, we're craving familiarity, we're craving this idea of, you know, like landlines and like in-person conversations. And so, you know, so those trends are kind of in a holding pattern, but what I love to do is go deeper. Like, yes, this is trending. Okay, but why? Mm -hmm. And then like continue to kind of drill down into that and understand like what it is about culture, what it is about that emotional life of your customer that's, that's keeping these here and making them not kind of move along. Yeah, that's great. That's, it's so interesting. Like, I've never really considered fashion as, as in-depth, you know, as what you're you're speaking about, so really really interesting how how you you know get in and dissect you know all of the you know the information and and you know derive what direction you know to go with that. What is what's next for Moonshot? Are you guys working on anything that you're you know excited about or looking forward to to being able to release? Yeah, so this um, circularity project is is going to take up most of 2021, and so there'll be a report published kind of towards the end of the year that should be just an amazing guide for brands that want to understand it and want to understand where they can kind of connect with customers along that circular journey. And then apart from that, I, there's tons of great content coming up. So, you know, on Clubhouse a lot, we do a weekly power hour on Thursdays at two Eastern time, and we talk all things youth culture and fashion. So we've covered topics from inclusivity in the fashion industry to, you know, next week we're covering how Gen Z is changing the face of luxury and you know what that looks like. So different topics every week, different guests every week. But yeah, so just it's all about curating conversations with this, you know, network that that Moonshot has of people who are just really tapped into the fashion industry and, and experts at what they do and experts in different types of fields. So yeah, we're just um, continuing to explore and research. Very cool. And what, what's your clubhouse name if people want to uh it, it's Katie Irving. You can follow me on Clubhouse. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. If people wanted to reach out, and obviously we just we just got the uh, the Clubhouse name there, but if people want to learn more about Moonshot or yourself, what would be the best way to get in touch? Best way to connect with Moonshot is on Instagram. So we're at the Moonshot Agency. And if you hit the link in bio, we have a free report that's just been published called New Genesis. And that is really a look at the next decade. And it is all about the five actions that brands need to take to survive and thrive. So, you know, New Genesis really looks at all these big changes that are coming that are driven by youth customers. And, but it also is very action focused and kind of helps brands understand what they can do to continue to stay aligned with these customers and continue to grow. I love it. I love it. Katie, this has been fantastic. Thank you for the time. And uh, I'm actually, I've got a few friends that are in the uh, the fashion industry and in that. So certainly going to pass this on to them and hopefully you'll be hearing from them and maybe you can talk to them on Clubhouse or something. Amazing. So, yeah, I would but, love to. This has been great. Thank you so much. No problem. Thanks for listening. And remember, pass the secret sauce.